Hello everyone, and welcome to Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about creative, interesting titles from indie to triple A. Today, um, it's been a couple of weeks since the last podcast, I was supposed to do it weekly, but world events and housework and making soup and watering plants and all of those kind of things, listening to the news too much, kind of took over there. But there was a lot of a lot of uh, gaming mixed into, so I have quite a lot to talk about this this time. Um, I've played a variety of games. I've been my attention span has been very skittery these last few weeks. Um, I've struggled to focus, sit down, sit still, play play a game for a, a decent span of time. So, but I did want to play. It's good, it takes your mind off things. It's a nice, relaxing thing to do. So I played a lot. Um, spread across Nintendo Switch, PS4, 3DS. Um, usually like half-hour stretches on a game. And there's like five or six games going at any one time. Um, the one game that I have given a proper six hours in a, a couple of sittings was In Other Waters. It's a brand new indie game that came out a couple of weeks ago um, and it's made quite a, a stir in the game's media with good reason it's a really interesting title I was sent it to review for Switch Indie Fix really cool uh, website that you might have read if you haven't, uh, check it out also Switch Indie Fix on Twitch and uh, Twitter and all those places run by a really nice guy called Adam so thanks to Adam for sending me the game um, it, it was a real pleasure to play through it was a, a very interesting, uh, unusual, ingenious title. Very um, aesthetically considered. Very considered on every front, actually. You can tell that the mind behind this game uh, knows exactly what it was going to be and has um, looked at every angle of it to make sure that it's as good as it can be. It was designed and written by Gareth Damien Martin and published by a fellow traveller. The game, it's described by the maker as a unique narrative exploration game, uh, which is a good way of putting it. Um, As I played through it, it's it's kind of a hard one to describe. It's got a lot of angles to it, but I'm going to try for you. Um, As I was playing through it, um, I realised at some point that it was the most ingenious, forward-thinking text adventure that I've ever played. Um, I played text adventures. They were some of the first games I ever played. There was a game called Sphinx Adventure. And you literally just read text, like you are in a clearing, there is a pirate here, etc. And you can you can type run away, you can type attack pirate, talk to pirate, these kind of things. And there's no graphics. And um, What In Other Waters does is it creates an, a topographical map that you're looking at. So you can see the lines, curves and heights and depths of the ocean. Um, overlaid on that, there is a hood, uh, a heads-up display, which has a lot of different complicated uh, information on it that you might struggle to understand at first. But as the game progresses, it, it gently teaches you what each thing is. There is a little bit of groping around at the start, kind of trying to figure out what you're supposed to do. Um, but I think that that's intentional. Um, and you are not 
the protagonist of the story. Or maybe you are, but the main character is a doctor, a xenobiologist, a marine biologist of alien worlds called Dr. Ellery Vass. Ellery wakes up or arrives in the game. Um, you, you first encounter Ellery. Um, when you uh, you come into the game and there's a voice saying on the screen in a text bubble, Hello? Is anyone there? Um, and Ellery starts trying to call for help, is, is paralysed in, a, in a, an underwater exploration suit. And as you s struggle with the buttons a little bit and fumble around and try and get your head in the game, it becomes apparent that um, you can reply to Ellery um, using the left or right D-pad just to mean yes or no. That's all you can do to communicate with Ellery. So you say yes, and Ellery's like, oh, thank God, someone's here. An AI is here to help me fix this suit. Um, and Ellery talks you through a couple of basic controls, and then you start to navigate your way through the ocean looking for a safe place, a way station. And you navigate by clicking on a point on the map. There's like a little, you scan, and you send out a ping, and then little dots appear around you, and each little dot is a location. So you click on the first dot, and the, the robotic suit moves in a straight line over to the next dot. When you get to the next dot, you receive uh, a text bubble that says you are in a large, sandy uh, incline. There are seaweed ripples around you. That's it. And then you scan again. There are two choices to choose from. So you pick one, and it says you're standing by a, uh, a large cliff that's been heavily eroded. Um, it looks like it may have been uh, inhabited by some kind of life form which has burrowed into the surface. And then on you go. You click, you navigate, you move forward. Hyper-repetitive, kind of soothing. Uh, reading the text, and the text paints beautiful pictures in your mind. It's very evocative, very vivid, very well-written. Um, literary text that you get, but you get it in tiny bite-sized chunks, like text messages almost. So the game is kind of tricking you into doing an awful lot of reading, but in a very gamified way. Um, it's sugared the pill. And it's it's beautiful to look at. The screen is a beautiful sort of aqua blue colour. The hood is a bright neon yellow. The game is very vivid. As you go deeper, the blue will darken. As you go higher, the blue will lighten. Um, life forms appear on the screen as um, as dots, moving dots. You can scan them, uh, and there's a really cool discovery and exploration system. So if you manage to scan a fast-moving dot, then Ellery will uh, identify it, make preliminary notes about what it is in the text, like oh, it's a fast-moving jellyfish. It's translucent uh, and moves faster than you would expect. Where is it going? And then you see another one, you scan it again, and Ellery is like, ah, I can see that the tentacles are attached to the underside of the hood. And then if you scan it five times, you get a nice tinkling sound of discovery, and Ellery has made enough observations to do a, a, a taxonomy entry in the database. So when you get back to base after your first dive, you've scanned two or three different uh, creatures. Um, you can go, you can uh, sample the seaweed while you're underwater too. So you come back to the lab with three or four samples, some seaweed, a tentacle of a dead animal. You file them, uh, you scan them, and then you can open the taxonomy. And between Ellery's observations and between your samples, 
you will get a nice, rich, multi-page entry about each and every piece of flora and uh, fauna that you've discovered. And so what you're doing as a side effect of carrying out the narrative of the game, just by traveling through this environment, is building uh, an incredibly rich, incredibly detailed, incredibly convincing taxonomy of the, uh, the creatures that live on an alien world. There is a narrative to the game too. You do arrive on the planet in search of a colleague, but I think it's best to just not really delve into the narrative too much. Um, it's something that you should experience while you play. Suffice to say that it's enough to keep you going. It was enough to keep me going through the game and to give me a sense of purpose. But in honesty, um, I was really playing for the exploration, for the, uh, for the experience of being a xenobiologist, collecting samples, making observations, discovering huge blooms of uh, coral and life forms that form a ceiling over you in the sea, and getting deep into this really mystical science fiction landscape that this game somehow manages to conjure with a simple map and words. So that's another Waters. It's out now on uh, Switch, Steam, a whole bunch of other places. Um, it's not uh, not too expensive. Pick it up. It's uh, I would say six to ten hours for the, the base game, but I would say you could double that if you decide to explore the map everywhere that a little pin falls with a a request for a sample. There are many paths untaken as you travel around this ocean. Um, and so after the base game, you, you get a message from Ellery saying, you know, let's keep going so you know that you can. Um, and I think I will. I will dip back into it um, for, the, for the environment, for the satisfaction of filling out the taxonomy. And just to spend time in this game world, it's lovingly constructed. Um, the feat of creating this taxonomy of an alien world through text and uh, your ultimate reward if you get all of the samples and all of the observations and everything that you can possibly get about one creature is that you get Ellery will draw um, a picture of it and that's the last thing you get in your file. Also the music, I mean as you travel this game, as you can hear in the background, it's just beautiful. The soundtrack is by Amos Ruddy, um, you can buy it at uh, amosruddy.bandcamp.com it's also on Spotify, you can buy it on Steam. Really beautiful listening, it's like Brian Eno style ambient music. Helps you to really get lost in this game world. So there we go, that's the first game of the, the episode. It's a high recommendation, I gave it an 8 out of 10 on Switch Indie Fix. My review will be going live soon, so you can read further thoughts on it there if you want. That's In Other Waters.
I was really wanting to just leave that soundtrack playing, to be honest with you. Um, it's just beautiful. It's really in my uh, taste bracket. But the second game that I'm going to talk about today is a complete leap away from this um, arty current indie game uh, style that we've uh, just been talking about now. Because it is um, a kind of strangely forgotten triple uh, A game that came out on the PlayStation 4 called Gravity Rush 2. So this game came out in 2017, it's a PlayStation 4 exclusive, it was made by Sai Japan Studios Team Gravity Division, published by Sony, and it's one of the nicest surprises that I've had um, since I started gaming heavily uh, in the last year. Um, I downloaded this one as I was just browsing through the PS Now store where there are hundreds of games, you have a membership, it's Netflix for games. It's one of the downloadable titles. It had cool um, anime artwork, and I'd heard I'd heard a little bit about Gravity Rush and the core mechanic of it, and I thought that's cool. I'm going to give this a try. So I just started it up one night uh, with no real expectations, and I was surprised to find that it's just a stunning game. It begins with um, an elevator going down into a hazardous mining zone, and you're a heavily clad heavily suited miner. You have to walk out with your other miners and mine for crystals. But uh, the mining trip is attacked by a bunch of nasty black uh, octopus creatures with purple eyes. Uh, and before you know it, you've thrown off your suit and you've been revealed to be the kind of youthful, supermodel-looking, um, gravity-defying superhero cat who I assume we're supposed to know at this moment from the first game, uh, which was on PS Vita. But I haven't played the first game, it doesn't really matter. Um, maybe I should have to get the context, but Cat can um, defy gravity. You can press a button to make Cat float in the air, then you aim your target and hit go, and off she goes. She can fly up, down, um, completely gravity-defying character. In the air she can perform attacks, hit a square, and she'll do a gravity kick fly in fast, hit the enemy hard. She can also pick up items like uh, Jesse in control. She can pick up three items at first and you can throw them. Um, and she can do a string attack, um, a pretty easy combo attack. It's just a single button bash, which you can power up from five to six to seven to 11, 12 different moves in a, in a string. And um, after this mining trip, you go back to Banga village. It's a floating village. Um, every building in Gravity Rush 2 is powered by these crystals, purple crystals that defy gravity too. And you're collecting them, you're mining them, they're a resource. And you're stuck in this mining village. It's a really beautifully realised location as a little hub world for the game. Um, there's different characters that have different roles. There's like a little kind of dock area, the work areas, living quarters in wooden shacks that are connected by wooden walkways 
It's a little bit like the movie Waterworld, if you've seen that, except instead of the encampments floating on water, they're floating in the air. And as a gravity shifter, you are um, a kind of incredibly valuable resource and the people around you seem to clock onto that pretty fast. Cat, as a character, is adorable. She's like the most optimistic, wide-eyed character that wants to believe the best out of every situation. So anytime you get some creepy old miner or like some dude who wants you to do a, t a job for them because they're lazy or because it's easier for you, Cat will just rationalize it and she'll do it. Side quests are always like some old guy is like, oh, my stuff is everywhere. And you, you go and grab all his stuff with your gravity skills, put it in one place. Could have done it himself, but Cat will do it anyway because she's just really nice. Um, the visual style of the game is very cool. It's like uh, everything is in immaculate 3D with details down to the last uh, crack in the wall, line on a window. The textures are amazing. And yet it all has this pencil drawn feel to it too. So it's an amazingly realized 3D world that I would put like up there with kind of Breath of the Wild in quality, um, perhaps even more detailed, smaller and a lot different, but the vision and the quality of the, uh, the world is on that level. So that's one of the reasons that I'm just kind of stunned that more people haven't played this. Um, Akio Kohoshi, he's a member of Switch Core, was talking about it with him. He said perhaps it was down to some um, bad marketing from Sony who published the game. Um, it kind of clashed with some other titles, didn't quite get the love it deserved, went under the waves, and and so it sits there, um, a pristine, brilliant, well-realized, beautifully made triple-A game with a really unique core mechanic, a fantastic game world, rich music, a great story that's told in comic book style in different chapters as you move through the story. Uh, the missions are really varied. The gameplay is excellent. Um, I'm all about freedom in open world environments and this game gives you as much freedom as you could possibly wish for as you can literally fly under, over, up the side of skyscrapers when you reach the city area. The city area is a bustling metropolis that um, many game games have tried to emulate, you know, like in Horizon Zero Dawn there's a main city but it's a little bit disappointing. In Skyrim there are kind of big settlements. The, the main city is supposed to feel impressive but it feels empty. Many games try but the cities are hard to do and they often feel empty and stilted and strange like they're supposed to be packed marketplaces and bustle. It just doesn't quite, doesn't quite come off. In this game it feels real. There are people selling food, jugglers, people walking around, old ladies taking in the sun, fighting couples, groups of friends, students with backpacks. As you walk through the city, you, you can almost smell food in the air, you can hear the bustle of the people, uh, and it's just a joyful experience of a game. So I've been uh, playing it mission by mission, taking it slow. Like I said, my attention is a bit everywhere. I think the main game is, um, there are 20 missions, I'm on mission 7. Nothing has been incredibly challenging so far. There's a couple of missions where, I mean, there is a downside to the gameplay. That is, as you're zapping around at all angles, the world is spinning like crazy around you. It's very easy to get turned around and find yourself upside down, stuck under a giant lily pad or wherever you are, on the bottom of a, an island that you're supposed to be mining on the top, and you'll drop to your death because you've run out of gravity power, which you have to recharge. Um, so, there, you know... 
as mechanics just due to the kind of freedom that you have in game. Uh, the mechanics necessarily almost leave you disorientated at some point. Um, and it's a bit of an eye roll moment if you're trying to take out a boss or doing a time challenge or something like that. But it's really not enough to take the shine or the sheen off the game or the game experience. It's an absolutely A-plus game. I cannot recommend it enough. If you have PS Now, download it immediately. Turn off this podcast. Download it immediately. If you don't, seek it out. It's a keeper. That's Gravity Rush 2. So next I'm going to do a little roundup of a few games that I've um, started or dabbled with in this attention skittery period that I'm having with games. Um, I'm supposed to be doing the hashtag one finish a week challenge um, and I started strong, came roaring out of the trap and uh, finished a whole bunch of games really quickly. I was finishing a lot of uh, Simogo one or two hour iPad titles, uh, short games like Gris. Sayonara Wild Hearts, Farlone Sale, so I stacked up like 30 games in no time at all. Uh, there were a couple of big ones thrown in there. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn was in there. Super Mario Odyssey was in there. Although I still have to do the DLC and the, the back end of Odyssey, which I will at some point. Um, but I have a whole stack of games that I've been dying to tuck into. Big, substantial games. And I actually started this one by accident. It's one of the big games that I have been wanting to play since I got a PS4. It is the infinite exploration game, No Man's Sky. Um, as I learned when I was reading about this game before I started it, it's had a controversial history. It was a hype title that took a long time in development, and when it came out, it wasn't finished. People were really mad with it. It was uh, too empty. The gameplay wasn't fully developed. It wasn't what people hoped it would be. Um, and over the, the years since its release, the studio behind this game have worked tirelessly and relentlessly on making No Man's Sky, the game that everyone hoped for. Um, and as a fresh pair of eyes coming into it at this late time, I was really excited to see what my first experience of it would be. Um, and I'm very pleased to tell you that it completely lived up to um, my hopes. Um, the game begins when you wake up in a spacesuit lying on the, on the ground on an alien world. Um, one of the hooks of No Man's Sky is that the worlds are generated so that uh, each one is unique. The generative worlds, the life forms that you'll encounter, the fauna, the colour of the earth, the planets that are around you are always different. Um, the scenario, however, is the same. So your first task is pretty intense beginning. Your first task is to figure out how the hell to reactivate the uh, life support systems on your soup before you die. So you have to not only do that, but you have to figure out the game's interface um, 
which includes mining elements with a laser and then extracting what you need from them. Going into a complex menu system and figuring out which element helps you, for example, top up your oxygen, which element helps you top up your toxicity shields, and then figuring that shit out really quickly. I died within five minutes on my first try and rolled my eyes. So fuck it, I'll give it one more go. Opened the game up again and somehow managed to realize that if I disassembled this fungal growth that I could uh, feed my oxygen tank long enough to stay alive and get to the beacon. At the beacon you find a ship that needs repair. It's not easy to repair the ship. You have to mine for different elements. You have to fix your scanner to scan for the elements you need. When you have enough ferric dust you have to craft a refiner which you then put it through you get some metal, you make some metal sheets, you patch up your ship and times that by three. So the first two hours of the game are spent um, hunting for resources to patch up your ship. But when you do, um, the ship is ready to go. You've got the fuel, you hit the launch button and suddenly you lift off. You're flying over the planet, out of the atmosphere and into the cosmos into the rings of the nearing pl nearby planets through asteroid fields. The sense of freedom and uh, liberation was really incredible, partially because of that difficult grind of the first few hours. Um, I circled the planet. Um, there was some kind of beacon to go to, so I went back down there, landed again, started building my own base, um, opening up my skill tree, um, and I could tell, I mean, I started playing at, I think, 11pm and I came out of a deep trance when I realised that the bins were being taken away and it was 7am. I was just stuck in this game for eight whole hours and that's just the first time I've played it. It's the only time I've played it. I've been a little scared to open it again because I know I'm going to lose awful lot of time to this game. So I'm incredibly excited to have started my journey in No Man's Sky. Um, and I think, um, I think I'm going to have a really good time with this game. Um, I can't wait to progress further into it and see everything that it has to offer. Um, the work has paid off. I can say that. It's stunning. That's No Man's Sky. I should add as a postscript that the soundtrack is by 65 Days of Static. Um, it's a band that I've been familiar with before, I've seen them play live. I think they were from Oxford back when I was living in England and uh, going to a lot of gigs. Um, they were quite a big deal at the time um, and they've done an amazing job here. That, that particular track is pretty rocky like their old style but as you can imagine a lot of what they made for this game is ambient. Um, music triggers at moments, certain moments in the game, it's very well judged. Like say that you've just carried out a really long boring task of getting some metal together and uh, you finally grind out the metal you need and you'll get the achievement unlocked of uh, 65 days of static playing you some music. Uh, when you leave the planet it's like some good 2001 vibes. Uh, the whole thing is just a quality production. Very excited to play it. Um, as for what else I've been playing, it's completely different to everything that we've talked about so far. Um, in order to chill I've kind of had a rule of no dystopian worlds. Um, I've uh, wanted to focus on 
games that are colourful and uplifting in some way. Um, in, other, in other waters, certainly is. Um, maybe a little bit of dystopia in there, but not much. Gravity Rush 2, uh, it's joyful, cartoonish. No Man's Sky, infinite exploration of the of the cosmos. What else could be, what could be more positive? Um, and the other games that I've been playing, though, are much simpler, more childlike. I've just been playing these colourful little games. Like, um, I got a 3DS at Christmas. Um, I had never owned a 3DS first time around, so I bought up a, a bunch of games. So I've been dipping into Hyrule Warriors. It's a hack and slash game set in uh, the Hyrule Kingdom, um, kind of a parallel game to the Zelda universe. It, uh, it contains all of the characters from throughout the Zelda series, popping their heads into the different um, episodes. The main, the main gameplay is a battlefield game, where you are swamped with hundreds of enemies at any given time, and you play a massively overpowered Link who can swing his sword and send 20 enemies spinning into the sky. And you have to kind of navigate a battlefield, uh, go to danger points or meeting points, transfer between characters, which includes Zelda. For once, you can actually uh, control Zelda, use her powers, and it's nice to see Zelda as a, a powerful warrior character in a Zelda game, because so she should be. Um, you can also be... Um, you will come across Midna. Um, you'll come across the, the young version of Impa who's uh, very old in Breath of the Wild, but who's still like a, a badass warrior here. And you can travel through the Hyrule universe in a completely different way. Um, the gameplay is very satisfying and very simple. It's mindless, like an arcade game, really. You feel like you should be pumping money in for your, for your next uh, to continue. Great game. I also have um, been playing Hey Pikmin, because I'm a huge Pikmin fan. Uh, I played Pikmin on 1 on the GameCube and was bewitched by it. Um, if you don't know, you play a, a dopey little spaceman called Captain Olmar, who's crashed on a hostile planet, but he finds that there is a life form called Pikmin. Uh, they have like a long, elongated cone for a head, and on the top there is a leaf or a flower, depending on if it's a blue, a red, or a green. And you literally pick them like plants, and then these little creatures that scamper around, you enlist an army of them. And when you have 100 Pikmin, you can kind of throw them at creatures and they'll take out the creatures by jumping on them. They can build bridges, they can uh, go through water and pick up objects for you to help you fix your ship. Absolutely charming game. Uh, hey Pikmin is a 2D variant that came out on the 3DS. Um, it's kind of a platform version. It's a much cut down uh, take on the, the Pikmin idea. But it's in that Pikmin world. It still has that colourful gameplay. The Pikmin are delightful. The gameplay is fun. It's light. It's easy. The thing that I like about 3DS games is that they are designed uh, very much in uh, true handheld games. You know, they're bite-sized. The levels are five, ten minutes. You pick it up, you put it down. It's for a train journey. It's for an airport wait. It's for a waiting room. Um, there's no kind of... Uh, getting sucked in for seven hours and waking up at seven in the morning like No Man's Sky. So it's really cool and easy. Um, I've also played a few more, but this podcast is running a little long. Half an hour is a record. So thanks if you're still with me. Um, I'm going to talk about one more game and then finish with some Twitter questions. Um, I played Golf Story. Um, I was sceptical about a pixel art golf game. Um perhaps understandably in this uh, age of 
huge wonderful universes and 3D open worlds that we're in now. But I gave it a spin on the strength of the the kind of the passionate praise that it got. It wasn't just liked, it was loved. And I was like, okay, I have to check this out. It came up on sale, picked it up, and lo and behold, it's absolutely wonderful. It's a golf RPG where you pick up your dad's old clubs, you wake up one day and you're like, I'm gonna carry out what my dad always wanted me to be, a professional golfer. Off you go to a broken down, dodgy old golf course and start hitting a couple shots here and there, trying to get a coach fixing weird problems, talking to people, like the people running the soda bar. Like half RPG, lots of little side quests, a power-up system, simple power-up system for your shooting uh, swings, rather. Uh, the game uh, opens up and there's like a nice little pixel world, like a little bit like Super Mario World. You go out into the world map, visit different courses. There's a weird desert course. I was a, a bit surprised that the desert course course is inhabited basically by cavemen who speak in like a really broken down version of English felt a bit weird then there's a a high mountain course with wind and suddenly you're learning about how to deal with wind and slopes so the game is leading you through all of the different skills that you're going to need for uh, what I imagine will be a huge uh, like American Open style finale I've heard that it gets tough uh, towards the end, so I'm looking forward to that. And before the questions, I just want to squeeze in one last game, just to mention. I've been playing Bulletstorm. It's a 2011 PS3 title that recently was ported to Switch. Um, it is a completely dumb and completely brilliant uh, first-person shooter. It's on rails, so you're moving through a kind of a set uh, s sequence of scenarios. It doesn't feel too Rails-like. Sometimes those games are a bit annoying, but this really feels like you're in like an action movie. Like, say you're in a like uh, the film Gravity or something like that, where you're just a sequence of crazy events happen and you just have to get through it. Um, it's, you play an, a hugely overpowered, um, drunk, former soldier. He's now a mercenary. Um, you have a range of guns. You have a laser whip which you can shoot out of your wrist, grab enemies, whip them towards you in slow motion and then you can either boot them or you can shoot them in the air for skill shots. Shoot them, if you get extra points for shooting them in the head, you get extra shots for shooting them in the ass. Um, it's kind of a very uh, gruff uh, dude sense of humour throughout the game. But honestly I've had so much fun playing Bulletstorm. It's like one minute you're sliding down um, a cliff on a water slide with your character like howling with laughter before you land in an enemy packed zone and you just have to wipe them all out with a chain gun and the next minute you're escaping on a train uh, firing off the back of the train at all these bouncing Mad Max buggies that are kind of cruising over sand dunes to try and get you it's just like a wild ride um, you can play it episodically it's uh, chapters, there are plenty of checkpoints it's really friendly to the player it's not too hard, but the, the graphics are great, the sound is great, the the script is funny, and it's kind of sort of stupid Tango and Cash Rambo kind of way. I picked it up on sale. It's like, um, everyone likes to just occasionally play a game where you just get a massive chain gun and destroy a bunch of stuff. It's just a game format that's really fun to play once in a while. And honestly, I can't recommend Bulletstorm enough. I'm halfway through, and I'm just dying to see what comes next. It's crazy. The director has gone all the way with his ideas. Um, fully recommended.
I say this game's a bit of a guilty pleasure. It's like Jurassic Park or like just watching a an X-Man movie with a big bucket of popcorn. Um, and sometimes we all like to do that. That's Bulletstorm. Um, I thought it would be f- fun to just um, finish with a couple of Twitter questions. So I put out a little call on Twitter. I'm at Gaming in the Wild on Twitter um, to see if people had any questions they want to ask about games, about life, about Iceland, about whatever, really. There's a really great community on Twitter um, for games, and I take such pleasure in it every day, just like chit-chatting to people, following new people, finding out what people are playing. It's a huge part. It's become a huge part of how I enjoy games, is like talking about them with the Switchcore guys, like hashtag Switchcore, and uh, Switch Indie Fix, chatting to the, the different writers who are writing for that great site. Um, and the first question comes from Adam, who is the editor of Switch Indie Fix. He says, here's a question, John. You're going back and playing older games in lockdown. Why not brand new ones? And that's like a super fair question. Like, I feel seen with that one. But the truth is, um, I think I might have mentioned this before, um, but I sold all my consoles when I moved to Iceland. I had a big collection of consoles. I had Saturn, uh, SNES, 64, GameCube, Xbox, PS1, PS2, and a library of games. And I sold them all for like several hundred pounds um, because I was downsizing my life. And I moved to Iceland and I really didn't pick up a game since then. Um, Just had a super busy work life. Um, and a super Spartan lifestyle, just like moved around from apartment to apartment with not that much stuff. So it wasn't until last August that I actually picked up a Switch and uh, suddenly found myself with a lot of time on my hands um, to play games and just launched into the deep end basically, played Breath of the Wild uh, from bottom to top of 280 hours according to my Switch. Um, And so basically I've missed out on a generation of consoles i didn't have a wii i didn't have a wii u i didn't have the xbox whatever it is now xbox series x or whatever didn't have a playstation 3 it didn't have playstation 4 although i have one now so i'm missing the last probably six or seven years eight years of of games so i went through the all of the best of lists online and drew up a big list of games that had just been unanimously game of the year so, uh, and, you know, and AAA, uh, AAA titles that have just been, that have gone over my head. And I'm working my way through them bit by bit. Um, it's really nice to not be um, sort of surfing the wave of what's new all the time. Just make a wish list of those old games and pick them up when they're on sale. Get a nice big juicy backlog on purpose. And, um, and just... Uh, take the temperature of what I missed and I've had such a good time doing it you know like um, Horizon Zero Dawn was a revelation and games like uh, Gris even though that was just last year, Journey um, I played a bit of Half-Life 2, I played Portal 1 and 2 on Steam A Short Hike um, Far Lone Sails, Sayonara Wild Hearts, I'm just tearing through this uh, history of games uh, Gone Home, Edith Finch the um, everyone's gone to the rapture um, I have the Borderlands series I have the Bioshock series I have all these games that I'm just dying to play um, so p- 
playing old games is kind of, it's what I do right now. Like I pick up the occasional new title, but I'm filling in the blanks of seven years of missed gaming and making up for lost time. So that's the answer to that one. Uh, the second question is from Oni Boy Fighter. His Twitter handle is at cmills215, mills with a Z. And he says, have you tried Death Stranding? Um, I am dying to play Death Stranding. I've watched videos of it. I've seen the the hype building around it. I've heard the controversies, all of the opinions. Um, I've looked at a little bit of the, 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 look, the look of the game and the landscape that it happens in is very Icelandic, actually. Just those mountains and that mossy lava that you have to traverse. Um, I'm going to play it for sure. It's on my list. Um, maybe after I've done No Man's Sky and some other stuff, or maybe if I impulse buy it, if it's on sale, I'll definitely be playing Death Stranding, so that's a firm yes. Um, the question after that one, let's have a look, let's have a look. Do, 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 do. Underwater River, um, who is at Anna Milgram, Anna with one N. Anna is a good friend of mine, so hi Anna, thank you for the question, love you. She says, have you tried any tabletop RPG games with people online? I've been playing a few simple storytelling games and they've been really nice. Uh, no, I have not. Um, I haven't played any tabletop RPG type shit since my adolescence when I was a big Warhammer guy with a space marine army of painted miniatures and an orc army uh, with a zombie dragon, which I'd uh, built up and painted and I'd have entire days playing with my friends over on a huge tabletop in the garage um since then i've not um i am a bit of a loner for that kind of shit i think i quite like just sitting down and getting my head stuck into a a um a computer game in my own time video game in my own time but maybe i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna chat to you about that a little bit more and see if you can fill me in and and persuade me a little bit uh, another question is from AAS, AAS Group is their Twitter handle, and they ask simply, where are Team 3? I don't know where Team 3 are. The last time I lost a team, let me think, it was through the haunted fridge in Control, and they had done a excursion into the Black Rock Quarry in Control. There's a lot of teams missing in there, all kinds of crazy shit going on in Black Rock Quarry. So I suggest that you enter the Haunted Fridge um, and go and look for your team. That's where all the lost teams are at. One more question to finish. It's from Sam Daniels at poet underscore clover. I recommend that you follow Sam. We talk about games quite a bit. I'm hoping to borrow Sam's uh, PSVR so that I can do a little bit of virtual reality on Lemon Sky. He says, does living in Iceland, where it can be often difficult to get your hands on games or tech items, frustrate you? Um, and that's a yes and a no. I mean, a lot of the Switch core guys that I talk to on Twitter are avid collectors of games. Um, they buy physical copies of everything. Um, physical copies are not that different in price at launch from digital copies. And so I see the logic in what they're doing. They're building a library of games. Um, if Nintendo's shop goes down, if the cons like three generations from now and Switch is no longer supported, they've still got all their games to play. It's very logical. It's also got resale value. 
but here in Iceland there is like 12 games in the store seriously it's rubbish um, so I am purely digital except for my 3DS um, my parents live in the UK and so when I want something like um, Super Mario 3D Land cartridge or Hey Pikmin cartridge my entire 3DS collection is cartridges I have them all sent to my parents' house, and then when I go and visit them, like once or twice a year, there's this huge pile of mail waiting for me, and I tear it all open, and it's like Christmas. It's like five PlayStation games, three 3DS games that I'd forgotten I ordered, some crystals and some, you know, turmeric tablets and whatever the hell else I've ordered and forgotten about. And so it's like a miniature, self-curated Christmas of stuff that you forgot you even wanted. It's wonderful. Do I wish that I could get stuff sent here? Yeah, sure, but the import taxes are crazy in Iceland, so... We don't do that. We just, uh, we shop overseas. So yes and no. So that's the podcast. Um, I hope that you enjoyed this edition. Um, it's my own fault that it's so long because I feel like Gravity Rush and In Other Waters should have been two separate episodes and I've just been living my life and forgetting to do podcasts so i hope that you enjoyed this long 45 minute epic of a podcast uh, thank you for the questions um thank you for all of the people on twitter the twitter community just want to thank everybody for being so nice all the time it's a big help in this strange time to be able to just vanish into a really caring pleasant good-spirited community um, if you want to get involved with that, follow me at Gaming in the Wild. Check out the people posting on the hashtag SwitchCore. That's Switch C O R P S. Um, and I'll hope to talk to you there. Thanks for listening, and stay safe out there. And bye bye.